Have you ever had one of those moments in your life, one of those moments of failure, when you realize that you did something or said something or thought something that you really honestly just thought you were never capable of? Have you ever found yourself not only disappointed with something you did, but honestly just shocked by it? A, a time where maybe you let yourself down or you let others down. And I, I know I've had at least a couple of moments like that in my life. And I know that we all have regrets and we all have moments in our lives that we wish we could take back. And often it's these moments, these mistakes, these times of failure that stay with us for years or sometimes even a lifetime. And many of us carry the weight of our shame, of our worst moments on our shoulders, and it can be crippling. It can be exhausting. But you know, not only do we carry our own shame for things that we've done, it seems that the discourse in our culture right now is becoming more and more unforgiving. There's this idea that if someone messes up or fails in some way, we have to quickly label them by their failure and then define their entire lives by their worst moment. Now, I want to be clear that sometimes a person's failure or sin does require real justice to be served, and I don't want to minimize that, but I do want to point out that none of us have lived perfectly acceptable lives at all times. We all have moments of great failure. We all have moments where we don't live up to God's standards or, quite frankly, even our own standards. And we all have moments in our lives where we fall very short of what God expects of us, what others expect of us, and what we expect of ourselves. And what I want you to know this morning is that it's even in those moments, God is not repulsed by you. He's not moving away from you, but He is moving toward you and wants to restore you. And you may be cursing yourself on those days and others may be cursing you because of your failure, but Jesus Christ speaks a blessing over you and invites you to turn from your failure in sin and turn to Him. And you see, we've been studying the life of Simon Peter for several weeks now, and today we come to a point in Peter's life where he does something so shocking that even he couldn't believe he was capable of such a thing. Our text today is in the Gospel of Luke, chapter 22, and in this passage, Jesus is having His final meal with His disciples, and Jesus turns to Peter, and Jesus warns Peter of what's coming in the hours ahead. And Jesus looks at him and he calls him by his birth name and he says, this is verse 31, Simon, Simon, behold, Satan has demanded to have you that he might sift you like wheat. In other words, Jesus is saying, Satan's going to tempt you, Peter. But Jesus says, I've prayed for you that your faith may not fail. And when you have turned again, that you will strengthen your brothers. And Peter said to him, Lord, I'm ready to go with you to both prison and death. And Jesus said, well, I tell you, Peter, the rooster will not crow this day until you deny three times that you know me. And so Jesus says to Peter, he says, Peter, look, I'm praying for you that your faith will be strong and that you won't fail in the hours that are ahead. And Jesus says, look, or Peter says, look, Jesus, that's not going to happen. I'm never going to fail you. If I have to die or go to prison, Jesus, I've got your back. But Jesus says to Peter, Peter, I'm telling you, you, you are going to fail me. You actually are going to deny that you know me, not just once, but three times tonight. And then a few verses later, Jesus gets up and he leaves dinner and he goes out to pray. And verse 39, it says that Jesus came out and went, as was his custom, to the Mount of Olives and the disciples followed him. And when he came to that place, he said to them, pray 
that you may not enter into temptation. So Jesus tells Peter here, hey, look, Peter, I'm going to go pray for a bit. And while I'm away, I want you to be praying as well. And I want you to be praying that you won't give in to the temptation to be a coward later tonight. Well, Jesus goes to pray and This is the famous Garden of Gethsemane prayer. And Jesus is praying in the garden for strength to endure the agony of the crucifixion. But look what happens. Verse 45, it says, And when Jesus rose from the prayer, He came to the disciples and found them sleeping for sorrow. And He said to them, Why are you sleeping? Rise and pray that you may not enter into temptation. So right here you see Jesus gives Peter an opportunity to pray for the strength he, need, strength he needs and not to give in to temptation. And what does Peter do? Does he pray? No, he takes a nap. And well, about that time, Judas and, a crowd, and the crowd of Roman authorities, they show up and they arrest Jesus. And verse 54 says that they seized him and led him away, bringing him into the high priest's house. And Peter was following at a distance. And when they had kindled a fire in the middle of the courtyard and sat down together, Peter sat down among them. And then a servant girl, seeing him as he sat in the light and looking closely at him, said, This man was also with with him. But Peter denied it, saying, Woman, I don't know him. And just a little later, someone else saw Peter and said, You also, you're one of them. But Peter said, Man, I'm not. And then after an interval of about another hour, another person insisted, saying, Certainly this man was also with Jesus, for he too is a Galilean. But Peter said, Man, I do not know what you are talking about. And immediately while he was still speaking, the rooster crowed, and the Lord turned and looked at Peter. And Peter remembered the saying of the Lord, how he had said to him, Before the rooster crows today, you will deny me three times. And he went out and wept bitterly. This is Peter's lowest moment. For years, Peter has stood at Jesus' side. He vowed to die for Jesus, to go to prison for Jesus. Peter was ride or die. He prided himself on being a tough guy. He was prided himself on being loyal. But in the moment of truth, Peter was an utter coward. Betrayal. He betrayed the other disciples. He betrayed himself. He betrayed his own values and principles. But most shockingly, he betrayed Jesus, the thing he said he would never do. And when it hits Peter what he had done, it says that he wept bitterly. He fell apart. The shame was just unbearable. Now, the question we have to ask is, we're like, how, does, how did Peter get to that point? Well, honestly, I think that Peter got to that point the same way that you and I often find ourselves in similar situations of failure and disappointment. You see, Peter's failure in this moment wasn't as unexpected as it seems. And our greatest sin is never unexpected either. You know, we often use the language that we fall into temptation. I fell into temptation. And it gives this image that we're just walking along, we're doing great, and then we unexpectedly fall into a surprise hole in the ground. Temptation, failure, sin, it sneaks up on us and it gets us and we just fall into it. But the truth is we rarely fall into temptation. Most of the time we drift into it. It's little actions over time where we remove our eyes and our dependence off of Jesus and slowly, day by day, we find ourselves more susceptible to the sin that is in front of us. And for Peter, he didn't fall into temptation. He slid into it. He drifted into it. 
And his failure, it essentially began with overconfidence. You know, in this story, we see all these moments where Peter dismisses the warnings from Jesus. Jesus warns him that Satan himself will tempt him. Jesus warns Peter that he'll need strength that evening. And Peter dismisses all of it. Peter says, Jesus, you don't have to worry about me denying you. I'll never betray you. Look, I know I've probably done some dumb things in my life, but that, that's never going to happen. Maybe these other guys in the disciples group, probably John, you know, one of these guys, they may do it, but not me. That'll never, I'm committed. I'm loyal. I'm strong, Jesus. I'll never do that. And you know, Peter believed it. I don't think Peter was being an arrogant jerk. He was just confident that this wasn't something that was a struggle for him. So he didn't think about it. And I believe that it is when we become overconfident in ourselves, that is when we become weakest to temptation. You know, there was a well-known pastor and Christian leader back in the 80s by the name of Gordon MacDonald, and he's written some excellent books. And his story in a nutshell is that he had a very public moral failure while he was a well-known Christian leader, and it took him years to work through the fallout of his sin before his church restored him back to ministry later in his life. But he wrote a book reflecting on his failure and his restoration. And he said, you know, most of us think that broken worlds can never happen to us. And we are especially vulnerable when we think we aren't. And he told a story about how one of his friends asked him, they said, Gordon, if Satan were ever to get you, how would he do it? And Gordon McDonald answered his friend. He said, you know, that's a tough question, and I'm not really sure what the answer is. But he told his friend, he said, but I do know how Satan won't get me. It won't be a marital failure. You'll never hear of me committing adultery. And Gordon McDonald writes that before that year was over, that's exactly where he had failed. 1 Corinthians 10, 12 says, Therefore, let anyone who thinks that he stands take heed lest he fall. Pride goes before the fall. So we must understand that spiritual warfare is real and that our hearts and our wills are never as strong as we think they are. And Gordon MacDonald says that unguarded strength is actually a weakness. And Peter became overconfident. He let down his guard. He stopped praying. He stopped talking. He stopped taking Jesus' warnings seriously. And when the moment presented itself, he failed in the area where he least expected it. Now, the second thing that I want you to see that caused Peter to drift into temptation was that he just became comfortable with distance from Jesus. If you notice, on two occasions, Jesus gives Peter a chance to pray, and Peter shuns the need for prayer both times. I'm good, Jesus. No need to pray. Time with your Father in prayer, Jesus, you know, that's not really necessary for me to do what you're calling me to do. And he stopped praying, and he became comfortable with his lack of prayer. And then another little thing you see in this passage is that when Jesus was arrested, verse 54 says that Peter was actually following from a distance. You know, if you read through the Gospels, Peter never allowed for there to be distance between him and Jesus. People often joke that Peter probably followed Jesus so closely that if Jesus were to ever stop abruptly, Peter would run into his back. Some of the first words Jesus ever said to Peter were, follow me. And Peter took this seriously. He followed close to Jesus throughout most of their ministry. And he said, Jesus, I'll never leave you. But right here, somewhere along the way, Peter allows for distance between him and Jesus. And he became comfortable with it. Now, let's have some real talk for a moment. I don't know about you, but when this pandemic started and we were all confined to our homes... I started to feel a little bit of a spiritual drift in my own heart. 
and I didn't have a desire to pray like before. I didn't really have a, the energy to spend time in the scriptures. And just to be honest, the Zoom Bible studies and even online worship just started to feel very difficult for me to engage with. And it just became easier for me to veg out and watch Netflix during quarantine and slack on my pursuit of God. And I've talked to many of you, and I know that many of you feel the same way right now. The quarantine has in some ways made it easier for us to create separation between ourselves and God, to slack off in our pursuit of the way of Jesus. And you know, I think the story of Peter ought to serve as a warning for us and for our souls that we can't be comfortable with the distance between Jesus when we feel that it's there. We cannot become comfortable with following God from a distance. And maybe today you just need to confess to God that you're reading, that you're standing a little further toward the back than you once were. And today you need to step forward and move toward Jesus, not further away from Him. Don't be overconfident. Peter was overconfident in his strength, and he was comfortable in keeping a distance from Jesus. He was prideful, and he wasn't staying close to the presence of Jesus. And those two ingredients, mixed with a moment of temptation, created an explosion of failure in his life. And I hope that that serves as a gracious warning to all of us that if we have become become overconfident in our own strength and if we have become comfortable with a lazy pursuit of Jesus, then we are playing with fire and we are susceptible to temptation just like Peter. And it is not too late to turn back to Jesus and derive strength from Him. We don't have to make the same mistake as Peter. But you know, I know that many of you today, you might be asking, you say, well, What if I've already done the big failure? What if I've already had the big failure? There's no preventing it now, Will. I'm I'm living with the shame and the consequences. What do I do now? Now We're going to see next week how Jesus actually restores Peter after this great failure. So I want you to tune into that next week. But I actually think we often focus so much on God's grace after our failure that we fail to see where Jesus is before and even during our failure. We know that God can forgive us after we've sinned, but where is God while we're in the middle of it? I believe our passage here shows us, and I believe it's incredible. And I think that knowing that God is for us in this moment can actually give us the strength to, give us the strength to walk in obedience even when we face temptation. So really quick, three things I want you to see that were true about Jesus all throughout this story and are true for you and me right now. And the first is this, Jesus understands our struggles. And the truth is, He understands our struggles better than we do. Because He can see not just our lives, but He can see the spiritual realm, and He can see what the demonic powers are up to. And He knows the situations that are in front of us. I mean, if you remember, this whole story began with Jesus telling Peter, Hey Peter, Satan is going to tempt you tonight. He's going to come after you. Also, Jesus knew about the people by the fire. Jesus knew about the rooster. And Jesus is telling Peter, I know, I know this is going to be a difficult night for you. You don't know it yet, Peter, but this is going to be a difficult night. And you will be in a situation where you will experience temptation like never before. Jesus understood Peter's situation. And here's why that's comforting to me. There have been several times in my life where I've just really blown it. And even though I have to take responsibility for my own mistakes, there are some times where... I just want, I just sometimes I want people to understand the circumstance I was in. Not to excuse my sin, but maybe just to understand where it came from and understand why it was such a struggle for me so that they can, they can, they can show grace to me. 
But Jesus tells Peter here, he says, I know. I know your situation. That doesn't excuse it. It doesn't make it right. It doesn't soften the consequences. But isn't there something comforting to know that Jesus understands our struggle? The second thing I want you to see is that Jesus prays for us. And Jesus tells Peter, he says, hey, I'm, gonna, I'm praying for you tonight, Peter, that you'll be strong. And I want you to know that today, right now, Jesus not only understands you, not only does He see your circumstances and see the temptations of your life that are ahead of you, but He's praying for you that you'll have the strength when those moments come. Romans 8.34 says that Christ Jesus is the one who died more than that, who was raised, who is at the right hand of God, who is interceding for us. Right now, Jesus is on His throne praying for His people. I can't explain all that that means, but I can tell you that that is one of the most comforting truths in all of the Bible. Jesus is interceding for you, advocating for you, praying for you at this very moment. Now finally, I want you to see that Jesus has compassion on us. The most heartbreaking moment in this whole story is right at that very moment when Peter denies Jesus for the third time and the rooster crows. The Bible says, and immediately while Peter was still speaking, the rooster crowed, and the Lord turned and looked at Peter. Now think about this. Peter is probably pretty far off from Jesus. We know that he was keeping his distance. So this means that at that moment of Peter's failure, Jesus looks from far off. He looks through the crowd of angry people, and he catches Peter's eyes, and he looks right into them. What a moment. Can you imagine what went through Peter's mind? What do you think the eyes of Jesus said? Now, I used to think that Jesus probably gave Peter a look of disappointment, maybe a look of frustration or anger. Peter, I knew you were going to do this. I tried to tell you, but you didn't listen. But the older I get, the more I, and the more I read the Bible, and the more that I fail myself and experience God's grace, the more I'm beginning to see that in those eyes of Jesus, that wasn't a look of contempt, but that was a look of compassion. I think Jesus' eyes said to Peter, Peter, I see you, I know, but don't walk away. Don't give up. I'm still here. Turn back to me. Verse 32 tells us as much. And later that same day on the cross, Jesus would show compassion and understanding, not just for Peter, but even for his executioners. Father, forgive them. Father, forgive them. Jesus prayed from the cross. You know, we often think that Jesus looks on us with disgust when we mess up. And only after we've paid our penance and cleaned ourselves up that he can look at us again. But I believe that it is in our very worst moments where the eyes of Jesus offer the greatest amount of grace. Whatever you've done, whatever shame you feel this morning, you need to know that Jesus' eyes are on you and He isn't looking away, but He's inviting you to turn back and to receive His forgiveness and to be restored back to Him. Jesus said that we are to love one another as He has loved us. And as it relates to this passage, that's what this, here's what this means. It means that in your moments of greatest failure, perhaps even right now, You need to know that Jesus is not giving up on you. But it also means that you need to see that in a culture that is so quick to dismiss, exclude, and cancel people for their transgressions, we must be people of grace. We must love one another, and we must love our neighbors as Christ has loved us. Before, during, and after our greatest failures, Jesus still and always extends His grace. And I want us to be a people that receive His grace 
But I also want us to be a people that extends His grace to other people in their failures. I want our church not to be a place where all the people who have it all together feel like they can come and hang out. I want our church to be a place where the most broken people can feel welcome and can feel the loving eyes of Jesus looking on them and saying, come back to me, come to me. With me, there is grace. With me, there is mercy. That's the kind of church I want to be. That's the kind of person I want to be. And that's, the kind of, that's what I want to see take root and take place in your heart. So let me pray that for you this morning, church, and we'll continue with our service. Father in heaven, we thank you that Jesus, even though he knew Peter's failure, he still washed his feet. God, we thank you that even though Jesus knew that Peter would fail that night, he still prayed for him. He still loved him. He still welcomed him. And God, I thank you that even at that moment of of Peter's great failure, God, your son made eye contact with Peter to let him know that he was loved. And as we're going to see next week, God, after Jesus rose from the dead, he restores Peter back to ministry and gives him a, a calling that was so great. And I believe you want to do the same for all of us that you want us to lay our sin and our failures and our mistakes down and not be defined by our worst moments, but to receive your grace, receive your restoration, and to go out and live the life you've called us to live, which is to love others as you have first loved us. So God, give us the strength and give us the courage to receive your grace and to obey your commands. And it's in your name we pray. Amen.